calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You're listening to Inherited Danger, book two of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information, maps, and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 12. In the Days Beyond Her Coming. Echoes of the past shall peal like thunder. Prophet Herodimus, as translated by Brother Jameson, Cathoran Monk. This challenge will be extra difficult, Benjen said. I've told the merchants you will be coming, and I've purchased the goods you're going to steal. The purpose is to test your ability to move with stealth. If any of the merchants see you take anything, then I'll lose my wager with them. You don't want me to lose my wager, do you? I wouldn't bet on it, Chase said, looking over the list. One red pepper, one loaf of apple bread, and three balls of netted cheese. No problem. I'll be back soon. Good luck, Benjen said. Though he didn't need stealth to approach the market, Chase kept himself hidden and watched what everyone else was doing. When he saw the vegetable vendor, he settled in for a good look. The vendor was a young man who seemed to be looking everywhere at once. He stood right behind the display of red peppers, ready to fend off a would-be thief. For a while, Chase just watched. Then he saw an opportunity. Two beautiful girls were walking toward the shop. When the vendor's head was turned, Chase darted across the narrow street and approached from the opposite direction as the girls. Good day, ladies, the man said, and that was all the time Chase needed. Quickly and quietly, he reached out and grabbed a single red pepper. When the vendor looked back, Chase was already seeking the next item on his list. While hiding in a darkened alley, he spotted a young boy playing with a ball and stick. Ho there, young man, Chase said. I'll give you a copper to ask the baker a bunch of questions. I can do that. Chase smiled, handed the boy a copper, and slid into the shadows, one step closer to his loaf of apple bread. Oh.
Confused, Katrin moved to Mother Gwendolyn's side and tried to console her. From the looks the other monks were exchanging, they were as confused as she was. Mother Gwendolyn took several deep breaths and gradually regained her composure. A young monk approached with jars of water, and Mother Gwendolyn drank deeply when Katrin offered one to her. Katrin could barely stand the suspense, but she respected Mother Gwendolyn and gave her time to calm herself. I'm sorry, Katrin, Mother Gwendolyn said after another deep breath. Your mother and aunt were poisoned. They were given a deadly overdose of mother's root, and I believe you were also a target, for mother's root only affects females. Katrin was stunned. Her father and Benjen had always believed there had been some sort of foul deed involved with her mother's and aunt's deaths, but it had never felt real to Katrin. Now that Mother Gwendolyn confirmed their suspicions, Katrin felt a deep, burning anger rise from the depths of her being. She had suppressed it for so long, uncertain it was warranted but now the justification existed. She balled her hands into fists and wished she had something to punch, wanting very much to vent the searing fury before it consumed her. I wasn't certain at first, Mother Gwendolyn said, breaking the heavy silence. But you described every symptom of a mother's root overdose, and the sweet buns would have made a perfect vessel. Mother's root has a sickeningly sweet taste that could be masked with honey or sugar and become almost undetectable. Had you eaten your sweet bun, you would most likely be dead. And were it not for my envy, your mother and aunt would most likely be alive. Katrin was taken aback by the admission and waited silently for an explanation. When I met Benjen... He was trying to make his way back to Endland after parting company with your mother and father. He was so handsome, honorable, and in so much pain. I was drawn to him, and I admit I fell in love with him, she continued, looking embarrassed. Benjen was smitten with your mother, and his heart was broken, but I didn't see it, didn't want to see it. I convinced myself he would fall in love with me, and we would be happy together. We both had a love for herb lore, and we spent days discussing various rare plants and roots, but he did not fall in love with me. He didn't even seem to see me as a woman. I was jealous and hurt, which made me most uncharitable. During our last days together... Benjen asked me to help him transcribe my notes on several rare herbs of which he had no previous knowledge. I remember it clearly, though I wish I didn't. I was angry and didn't want to help him. I copied the section on Mother's Root, and I remember omitting the information on the effects of an overdose simply because I didn't feel like doing it. I included the information that warned against overdoses and left it at that. Now I see how high the price of my envy was. I would change it all if I could. I'm so sorry. 
Catrin tried to find words to absolve Mother Gwendolyn of guilt, but she found none. Instead, she gave her a hug, and they cried together for a while. Mother Gwendolyn regained her composure and seemed to realize it was pointless to torture herself. I will send Benjen an invitation to meet with us this evening. There's nothing we can do about it now, but he deserves to know the truth, she said. At the same moment, another young monk approached. Many pardons, mother, but Brother Vaughn asked me to come right away if any birds returned. These just came in from Drashastone, he said, bowing, and he presented several small rolled pieces of parchment. She received them with a sad smile, her cheeks still shining with tears. While Mother Gwendolyn read, Brother Vaughn proudly explained their system of using pigeons to send messages between holds. He said several monks from each hold would travel to the other holds during the warm months, and they would carry many birds with them. The birds could then be released at any time to carry messages quickly back to their home hold. It was not a perfect system, he said, and messages were often lost. Important messages were sent with multiple birds, and any urgent messages received by one hold were forwarded to every other hold upon receipt. This, he said, helped to ensure that no Cathurin stronghold would ever be completely isolated from the others. Mother Gwendolyn looked up from the messages and handed one to Brother Vaughn. I think this one will be of most interest to you. It would appear a landslide in southern Falk has uncovered the skeletal remains of a giant winged beast. The message indicates the beast would have been larger than a warship. Incredible, she said. There is also word of Jean troop movements. Several large detachments are converging near the northern tip of the inland sea in Lankland. I suspect they will be bound for Omahold by the spring melt. It would appear the Jean have reason to believe Catrin is here. The news gave Catrin a cold feeling in her stomach. Now, Omahold would be subjected to a siege simply because she was there, much as the Godfist suffered because of her. She tried not to castigate herself, knowing deep in her heart it was not her fault but that failed to lessen her anguish. It was difficult to sit near Brother Vaughn, who could barely contain his excitement. The discovery of the winged beast clearly had his imagination running wild, and she tried to draw from his enthusiasm rather than dampen it with her melodrama. Don't be overly concerned, Mother Gwendolyn said, sensing her thoughts. Omahold is well defended and provisioned. We can be completely self-sufficient in the event of a siege, and the Jean will have to battle the wastes. When they launched their attack on the Godfist, they sent nearly two-thirds of their strength, and now they are left with insufficient troops to hold lands only recently conquered. I'm told the armies are now conscripting young women into service. These nations have already lost most of their working-age men, and now the Jean are sapping them of young women as well. The rural farmers have been the hardest hit. The Jean come unexpectedly, and the farmers have been ill-prepared to defend themselves. The Jean take their young folk and livestock, 
and they make notes of any small children so they can return for them later. In the meantime, the elderly and young are left with all of the work of growing food and caring for what remains of their livestock. The Greatland is on the cusp of famine and a full-scale revolution. I fear there are dark days ahead of us, and there is little we can do to stop it. I must accept the things I cannot change and focus on what I can do, I suppose, Catherine said, trying to find some escape from the futility. She glanced at Sister Hannah, who had not said a word since their introduction. Sister Hannah, perhaps there is something you can help me with. I've been trying to translate a phrase from high script. Do you know what Om Sa means? she asked. Sister Hannah appeared impressed that Katrin would attempt to translate high script. I've seen that phrase only once in all my studies, and that was in one of the oldest texts we have. High script evolved over the centuries, and the earliest versions are the most difficult to translate. From the context in which I saw the phrase, I interpreted it to mean departure or exodus of the first men. I cannot be certain my translation is correct, for phrases in early high script can have many meanings, depending on the order of the words and their context, which makes the translation more art than science. In what context, may I ask, did you see this phrase? Omsa is the name of a book that was given to me, Katrin said. It's very old, and I could not translate much of it. It's in my room at the first inn. Perhaps we could ask Benjin to bring it with him this evening, Katrin said, and Sister Hannah seemed genuinely excited about the prospect. Mother Gwendolyn added the request to her missive and sent the young monk to deliver the message. I know it has been a trying day for you, Katrin, and for me as well, but I sense events are beginning to accelerate. I'm sorry to bring this up, but I think it will be important for you to understand the nature and properties of Noonstone, Mother Gwendolyn said, and Katrin wondered what Noonstone was. From what we know, the fish figurine you found, Imitary's fish, was carved from Noonstone. Noonstone is very rare, and as you found, it can be used to store a finite amount of Istra's energy. In truth, Noonstones are actually crystals that only form under the most rare circumstances. The old texts say they form during the Istrin noon, when thousands of comets can be seen in the skies at any given time. Even then, it is written that they only form under deep salt water, and only when the wind is blowing east. Katrin found it hard to imagine anything could be so rare, and again she felt the sting of having destroyed Imitary's fish. How did the ancients find and retrieve the crystals if they were under deep water? We don't know, Mother Gwendolyn admitted. While that remains a mystery, there are some things I do know. Noonstone is clear and shiny when it is fully charged, and it becomes chalky and porous when its store of energy has been depleted. When energy is drawn from the stone, it grows warm to the touch, and if you draw too much energy too fast, then it will get hot. If you continue to draw upon a depleted stone, it will eventually disintegrate, and the crumbled remains will no longer be viable. The stone will be 
destroyed. Katrin nodded in acceptance. Much of what Mother Gwendolyn said confirmed what she had deduced on her own, only too late. It was good to have the information confirmed, but Katrin doubted she would ever find another Noonstone, which made the discussion seem pointless. What is Istra? Is she a goddess or a bunch of rocks in the sky? Katrin asked, partially in an attempt to change the subject. Mother Gwendolyn laughed and shook her head. You've a talent for asking questions that are nearly impossible to answer, she said. Again, understand that this is my opinion. I believe the ancient peoples had no way to explain heavenly bodies so they made up stories of gods and goddesses to define the unknown. Istra was their personification of the comet storm that lasted for over a 150 years. And comets are not big rocks in the sky. Those are called asteroids. We believe comets are made of ice, and they radiate their own energy. It is this energy you feel, much like you feel the warmth of the sun. If you explore the ancient legends and stories of the gods and goddesses, you will find all the major heavenly bodies represented in some way or another. The sun is known as Vestra. The periodic comet storm is known as Istra. And the moon is known as the dead god, father of the gods and goddesses, who was said to have been killed by his children. Groups of stars were given names and attributed grand deeds. It was even believed that great kings and heroes would become chains of stars upon their deaths. I believe the comet storm is a very natural occurrence, and some of our order have even hypothesized that comets may have been the very source of life itself. If comets are truly made of ice, then it could have been a comet that collided with Godsland and provided her oceans. Katrin watched as her simple world of gods and goddesses dissolved into a highly complex universe of endless possibilities. If the gods did not really exist, at least not in the form of omniscient super-beings, then who decided fate? Could life be nothing more than a series of random occurrences? The evidence pointed toward something even grander than predestination, and far more logical than random chaos. Life seemed to consist of many patterns and appeared to follow certain rules. The rules allow for a certain amount of predictability, whereas the complexity of the interacting forces provide entropy, resulting in a constantly changing universe based on orderly precepts. Order within chaos. The thoughts were as confusing to Katrin as they were revealing, and she had a difficult time coming to terms with the multitude of possibilities. She sat quietly for a time, simply allowing her thoughts to flow. Mother Gwendolyn must have sensed she was overwhelmed, because she adjourned their meeting for the day. In addition, the afternoon shadows had grown long, and they needed to get back to the outer sanctuary to meet with Benjen. The other monks bade Katrin and Mother Gwendolyn a good evening and returned to their own tasks, and Katrin followed Mother Gwendolyn back to the outer sanctuary. 
When they arrived at one of the private dining rooms, they found Benjen already seated and in the middle of a glass of wine. Katrin's waxed leather bookcase sat on the table. Mother Gwendolyn left Benjen and Katrin in privacy for a while. How are the others faring? Katrin asked, and she was relieved to see him smile. Better than I would have anticipated, which is a blessing. It could have been a very long winter. Instead, Osborne has taken up glassmaking and has really shown some promise. Milo seems truly thrilled to have an apprentice. Gustad has taken Strom under his wing, and I think he might be the father figure the boy needed. Strom has already proven himself a capable smith under Gustad's instruction, and I foresee a new future ahead of him. Vertuk is in his absolute glory. He's managed to get Brunson to attempt the Argast method of horse training. Brunson allowed Vertuk to select any foal he desired, and then he selected another one for himself. Now the two of them are spending every waking moment bonding with the foals. They even sleep in the fields with the animals. I've been working with Chase on his swordmanship. He's quickly becoming a capable fighter, and the exercise is helping his arm heal. We spend a good bit of time discussing strategies and gambits. He's made it quite clear that he's committed to protecting you. He doesn't begrudge the others their pursuits, but he'll have none of it. All of his efforts are dedicated to preparation for what may lie ahead. He paused when Mother Gwendolyn returned, her face an impassive mask, and Benjen was clearly taken aback by her stark visage. Katrin sat in quiet suspense, trying to decide if she should leave the two in privacy, but she could not make herself move. Benjen, I have wronged you, and I'm very sorry, Mother Gwendolyn began. I'll put this as kindly as I can, but there is no easy way to tell you. When we first met, I fell in love with you, and I was envious of your feelings for Elsa. You pined after her when I was right there for the taking. She stopped a moment when she saw the look of shock on Benjen's face, which slowly turned to one of comprehension and shame. How could I have been so blind, he said. But Mother Gwendolyn gave him no time to feel guilty. Do you remember when you asked me to help you transcribe my notes? She asked, and he nodded mutely. I was angry, and my feelings were hurt, and I did a poor job on the pages I transcribed. I copied what I considered the most important things and left out some of the cursory details. My omission cost you dearly, and again, I'm very sorry. I would change it if I could, she said, and she handed him a page from her notes, the page describing Mother's Root. He looked baffled at first as he read over the information he had memorized years ago. Then he came to the part Mother Gwendolyn had not transcribed, the part that described the symptoms and treatment of an overdose. His face lost all color, and every muscle in his body seemed to tense as he read the words that could have saved Elsa and Willa. Veins stood out on his neck and forehead, and Katrin thought he might explode. Tears streamed down Mother Gwendolyn's cheeks, and her lip quivered. 
Benjen set the parchment down slowly and stood. Katrin thought he might leave without another word, but instead he paced slowly around the room, looking like an angry cat about to seek revenge, his lithe movements promising a quick death. After some time, his shoulders hunched as his anger seemed to turn to sadness. You must not blame yourself for this, mother. Nor should I be allowed to blame myself, he said. We are not responsible for their deaths. We did not murder them. If circumstances had been different, perhaps I would have been able to save them. Perhaps not. We would have saved them if we could, but we could not. Mother Gwendolyn nodded and wiped the tears from her cheeks. Then she rushed to hug him. I'm so sorry, she whispered through her fresh tears. I'm sorry as well, Gwen. I never meant to hurt you. I just didn't realize, he replied, but Mother Gwendolyn silenced him with a finger on his lips. You need not explain. You're already forgiven. Now that we better understand the past, let us deal with the present, she said. Benjen began pacing again, his hostility returning full force. When I find Baker Hollis, there will be justice. That concludes this episode of Inherited Danger. Thank you for listening. For the latest news and new releases, be sure to check out patioracket.com.